0: Y'all turn that honor to your pastors, pastors Michael and Katie. We love you guys. Come on. Y'all can do better than that. We honor you, sir. We honor you, ma'am, and those three beautiful little light-skinned babies. Oh, man. A light-skinned individual myself. I just love it. But I honor you, sir. I'm thankful for you. And uh, I said it in the first service. I'll say it again. I believe you're sitting in a move of God. And it was one thing to hear this as a vision in his heart and, and try to see it the way he saw it. But it's another thing to sit in it. And so this is amazing. This worship team. Can you give it up for your worship team? This is great. And I'm I'm glad you stopped and like went back into that. We didn't do that in the first service, but I felt the Holy Spirit say something special. And I just want to say it to you. And I do believe it's prophetic that there will be songs that come out of this house. And Mike, I don't know where you are in the room, but man, if you stay, if you stay after God, if you remain, remain a man after God's own heart, I believe that those songs will, you'll partner with that. But I really do believe that for this house. So can y'all give it up for the Becoming Church? This is amazing. As he said, we bring you greetings from L.A., not California, lower Alabama, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your light-skinned cousin from down there, and I'm glad to be here. My wife, Lindsay, as he mentioned, we've been married for seven years, and uh, she is the most amazing decision I've ever made outside of my salvation decision. Uh, she loved me like Jesus. She's a big reason why I'm doing what I do. And without her, I wouldn't be here. We do not have kids yet, but we will do our part to populate the world with light-skinned children. So uh, we're going to have a little Barack Obama. I'm just joking. That was a terrible joke. But seriously, though, uh, I love my wife. And uh, my pastors, as Pastor Pastor Michael mentioned, allowed me to be here, Pastors Mark and Michelle Benson. And uh, he probably just wrapped up his service, or he's wrapping it up. And I'm so thankful for him allowing us to be here. I got some friends in the house. Some more light-skinned people, Uh, Rico and Kendra, they are youth pastors in Rainbow City, and I'm just honored uh, for them to take a Sunday off to be here with me. I love you guys. But without anything else really to pay honor and homage homage to, are y'all ready for the word? I said, are y'all ready for the word? If you don't mind, will you stand up on your feet as we get ready to read God's word? It's going to be Mark chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen as well. Mark chapter 2 is 12 verses of scripture. I'm going to read one more. And then uh, once I I read this, we're going to pray. You're going to talk to your neighbor. So get ready. You know, some of you are like, I didn't come here to talk to people. I don't want to do that. It's only going to be a few times, okay? So just relax. Take a deep breath in. Uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 1 says, when he entered Capernaum, again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit, That they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up and took the mat and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything. Like this, Ephesians three twenty. One more verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than somebody say more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. For the next few moments, I want to speak from a message titled "Making Room for a Miracle." Making room for a miracle. If you'll do me a favor, elbow your neighbor. Say, "I need some room. I need some room. I need some room." Elbow your other neighbor. Elbow your other neighbor. Say, "Other neighbor. Other neighbor." You need a miracle. You need, you need, you need a miracle. Let's pray. Let's pray. Long prayer. Father, I believe that you're getting ready to do miracles in Jesus name. Amen. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. Maybe y'all invite me for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. Uh, as I began to pray and prepare and have conversations with your pastor, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit begin to speak to me a phrase that I want to share with you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want to do lives. I want to do miracles in the lives of people. But what has been keeping them from the miraculous is that they won't make room for it. They haven't made room for me to move in their lives. See, I I believe nothing uh, blocks a supernatural move of God more in your life than you. Uh, your own logic, your own mindset. In fact, uh, we live in a culture of skepticism. We we're a full, our, cu- our culture is full of uh, critics and cynics, and we don't realize this. But this mindset keeps uh, it keeps us from experiencing God's move, and it impacts our ability to see and believe God to intervene in our in our lives in ways that defy logic. For example, uh, as I said, nothing will keep you from a move of God like your own logic. Some of us, we think ourselves out of the gospel. We talk ourselves out of things God has spoken over us. And what I want you to know is if you only live by what is logically possible in your life, you'll never experience what is theologically possible in your life. For example, uh, some people believe that it is logically impossible for a man to live inside a fish for three days. I agree with that. Uh, Some people believe it is logically impossible for a sea to split and people to walk on dry land. Uh, They believe it's logically impossible to walk on water or a virgin to have a baby, a man to be raised from the dead. And the Bible is full of a whole bunch of other things that are logically possible. But the reason I'm saying this is if the God that you serve can only do what is logically possible in your life, that's all he'll ever do. My God can do what is theologically possible in my life. Come on, somebody say miracles. He's a miracle-working God. Yet we come to church and we sit in environments like these. We get into moments of worship like these, settling for the things, the way things are, when the Scriptures instruct us through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to ask for, to believe for, to imagine more, to make room for the miraculous. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How often do we overlook the miraculous because it's hidden in the mundane? we, we we have a tendency. We have this, uh, this temptation. We fail to realize that even breathing is a miracle until we don't have air. It's a miracle. In fact, we, uh, every time you breathe, it's a miracle. You got up this morning. That's a miracle. Your life is a miracle. In fact, you got a nickname. It's miracle. Like there's something special about your life. And the fact that you're here this morning, it's a miracle. You made it through traffic. That's a miracle. Uh, how can I say this? God thought enough of the world to allow you to be born when you were born, where you were born, to whom you were born for such a time as this. That, my friends, is a miracle. Come on, somebody say miracle. If you're still right in your mind, miracle, because your family, your family may be crazy. If your family is anything like mine, the fact that some of y'all you're still married, that's a miracle. Uh, young people, the fact that you're still alive and your parents haven't taken you out yet, that's a miracle. Uh, You know, the fact that you still got that job and you want to take your boss out, that, my friends, is a miracle. We are living, we are experiencing a miracle, and I want to let you know that the Becoming Church is a miracle. You're sitting in a miracle, but when we use the word miracle, people dismiss it because they assume miracles are exclusive to extreme cases, burning bushes, divine healings, people being raised from the dead. And yes, some miracles may manifest in extreme ways, but because a mir- just because the miracle isn't extreme, that doesn't mean that it's not authentically a miracle. And we have to wrap our minds around this. And what happens is when you don't recognize that you're walking in, living in, sitting in, in the midst of a miracle, you won't have an attitude of gratitude for what God can do in your life. That you, you won't even appreciate that you're an anomaly sitting in what God orchestrated before you even got here. That's a miracle. And when you don't understand that, you begin to mislabel your experience. You begin to do things like you give luck credit for what God is responsible for. Oh, it was just luck. You know, I'm just, I'm just lucky. You know, I can't, I can't help it. You know, it was a, it was the roll of the dice. I got the right, the right cards were dealt to me, but I want to tell you this morning, you're not lucky. You're blessed. Matter of fact, look at your neighbor. Say, I'm blessed. Come on, say it like you believe it. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. What you've called luck is a blessing when you look at what you've been through what you've gone through what you come out of the opposition you faced that was in no way luck that was a miracle somebody was looking out for you protecting you keeping you covering you it's a miracle it wasn't accidental it was it was intentional it was a it was the hand of god it was a miracle and if all you got to depend on in your life is yourself i want to tell you good luck Because I don't know if you know this or not, but you will, all of us, myself included, will step into a season where we need God to intervene in our life. And I know this is countercultural to some of the narcissism and egotistic mindsets that exist, but I'm telling you, you're going to face some stuff that you can't fix by yourself. We need to learn to believe in miracles before we need a miracle. Because at some point, it'll get there. And I made this revelation as I've studied scripture of God's determination to do whatever he needs to do in our life to get you to where he's called you to be. He's that good. Like he's, he's so good. He'll, the Bible teaches us that God is interested in every detail of your life. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. His thoughts of you outnumber the sands of the shore. That is how detailed specific he is to your life. He knows sometimes you get on his nerves, but at the same time he's like, but that's my baby. That's my child. He just he watches you while you sleep. He rubs your head. He was like, yep, this one's different. But, you know, you're you're my kid. He's so consumed with and concerned for you being and becoming all that he called and created you to be, that he will involve himself in your life to make sure you get where he called you to be. For example, if he has to part the sea and let you walk on dry ground, he'll part the sea. If he has to let walls fall by people walking around them and shouting at them, he will make walls fall. If he has to make the sun stand still and the moon hold his place, he will do so so that you win the battle. He will do whatever needs to be done to get you wherever he's called you to be. Come on, somebody say miracle. That's good, man. I know it's a word for me. I amen myself. And this is what leads me to believe in miracles because the truth is we if we live long enough, we will eventually step into a hard Season, a difficult season, difficult seasons of marriage, difficult seasons of employment, difficult seasons of the uncertainty of the future, difficult seasons of parenting. We will all step into seasons where we need something outside ourselves to help us get through that season. But is he not the God of exceedingly abundantly more than you are than you can ask, think or imagine? Is he not that God? Is he not the God of miracles? Is he not the God of more? And if he is not, then what if he is, then why aren't we talking to him? We come to church, but we don't talk to him throughout the week. Where are the people who are full of faith and expectation? Where's the generation that's believing for more? Where are the people who are making room for a miracle? So my goal, Pastor Michael, my assignment, my task, my reason for being here today is to help us not to limit our thinking to the natural so that we don't miss the supernatural. My challenge, my call, my conviction is to help us to stop blocking our blessings because God doesn't want to do miracles that exclude you. No, no, no. He wants to do miracles that include you. He wants to do something that involves you. He wants you to have your hand within the divine intervention in your life. He wants you to participate in the miraculous. And you may need some Bible for that. And John 14, 12 gives us this. It says, I can guarantee you this truth. Those who believe in me will do the things I am doing. They will do even greater. Come on, somebody say greater. Greater things because I am going to the Father. This was Jesus speaking. That's why when we worship, when we lift our hands, when we raise our voice, what we're doing is we're putting a target around our life. We're saying, God, insert miracle here. Do something special right here. Do something special in me. I know my neighbor needs a touch, but more so than them, I need you to do something in me. Touch my life. Touch my family. I'm asking you. I'm acknowledging that I want you to move in me. And I just wonder, is there anyone in this room that has enough faith to believe for a miracle? Is there anyone here that wants to experience a miracle of God? Because I came to ask you, are you prepared for what you're praying for? Are you preparing for what you prayed for? Are you making room for miracles? Because more than uh, exp- more in order for this experience to take place, we need more than excitement. We need expectation. Come on, somebody say expectation. You can talk in church. It's okay. We want church to be enjoyed, not endured. Uh, expectation. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracles expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. It's a mindset for more. It's a hope for more. It's a belief for more. It's faith for more. And I'm glad that we serve in Ephesians 3.20, God, that we just read. We serve a God of more. And I love to say it this way, where my imagination ends, God's power begins. Our imagination is the floor of God's power. That means when you think all you can think, God says, you know what? I can do more than that. When you say all that you can say, God says, that's good that you asked. I can do more than that. When you get to a point where you start to believe more than all that you believe, he says, man, that's great. You got a, you got a good imagination. I think that's why he gives us big imaginations because he says, I can do more than Disney. You know, my, my power is the floor of your imagination. That's how good our God is. Come on, somebody say miracles. Man. And the Bible corroborates my claim. First Corinthians two nine. It is just as the scriptures say, what God has planned for people who love him is more than the eyes have seen or ears have heard. It has not even entered our minds. You have no idea what God wants to do in you, through you and for you. And I believe God wants to do what has never been seen before in your life. God wants you to be an Anomaly. He wants, you to, he wants to do something so special in your life that those who think they know you best realize they don't know you at all because God is that good. Are we making room for miracles? But, Pastor Will, this is all great. You got us good and started. You know, I, I like this. But what exactly is a miracle? I'm glad you asked. I want to give you a definition. It's when God makes things happen that couldn't happen, shouldn't happen, and wouldn't happen unless He made it happen. I'm going to say it to you again. It's when God makes things happen that couldn't happen, shouldn't happen wouldn't happen unless he made it happen. It's when God does more than. It's when he does more than you imagine. It's when he overrules the rules he put in place to get you where he's called you to be. It's where he turns nothing into something. It's how he speaks into darkness and speaks everything into existence. And he's so good, he picks up dirt and he says, you know what? The thing that you think is invaluable, it's valuable to me. And breathes the dirt and makes us. That's how good he is. Come on, y'all give God some praise in this house. It's when he turns your little bit into a lot of bit. And some of y'all are like, I got a little bit, but I need a lot of bit. <laughs> it's when God does more than you're asking for, believing, believing for, expecting for. It's when he does more than you deserve. Come on, somebody say more. He has the power to interrupt our expectations, surpass our limitations, and expand our imaginations of what we believe is possible. And I'm so glad that I serve that God because I want you to know that there's no greater miracle than a changed life. I wish y'all could have met me before I knew Jesus. Oh, man, it would have been been a great introduction. Imagine me standing before you and I'm not preaching. I'm just telling my story and I'm in the midst of the story. It would be a great story. Lindsay be like, nope, get me out of here now. If y'all would have known me because you don't know what these hands used to do. You don't know what words used to come out of my mouth. You don't know what thoughts that were in my mind. You don't know the hate that was in my heart that God had to heal. The greatest miracle that takes place, I would say, every single Sunday is a changed life. Come on, y'all. Y'all give God some praise. And I didn't say this to the first service. I wish I would have said it. But I believe if you continue to bring people to this place, what you're saying is I want to participate in the move of God that is called the becoming church. I want to participate in the change lives that are going to happen because I chose not to just invite people. I chose to bring people. And you don't know what uh, God can do until you put yourself in situations where you only where he can only do what you need done. And the fact that my heart's still beating, that's a miracle fact that I'm still breathing, it's a miracle. I mentioned that we are from L.A., lower Alabama, but I'm actually from Georgia. I'm a Georgia boy at heart. Go Dogs! And um, <laughs> we've got a few of y'all in the house. And, uh, and Michael, he's clearing his throat. We're praying for his salvation. I don't, I, he has a situation there. I don't know what it is. But um, I said that to say because in the area that I'm from, it's a high crime rate, high pregnancy rate, high dropout rate, high death rate. And I shouldn't be before you today, but the fact that I'm here, it's a miracle. And I just want y'all to believe in the miracle work of God, because I believe God still heals. I believe he still restores. I believe he's still speaking. I believe he's still working. He still does the unbelievable and the impossible. And I believe this church and and God's people are about to step into a miracle season. I I believe you're getting ready to walk into something that you have no idea what's going to take place. So for my note takers, point number one, my main point. In the story of Mark chapter 2, the story shows us how to be a part of what God is doing. The first thing I want you to write down is when we make room for more, God makes room for the miraculous. When we make room for more, God makes room for the miraculous. Mark chapter 2 verse 2, so many people gathered together, there was no more room, not even in the doorway. We need to make space for the miraculous. Many times we need a miracle. We, we need a miracle. We want a miracle in our life, but we have not designed our life to be conducive to receive a miracle. Because we expect God to only do what needs to be done in our life in one hour on a Sunday. And God may want to interrupt your Tuesday. He may want to show up at your dinner table on Thursday. He may want to be in your office staff meeting on Thursday. You have no idea where God wants to move in your life because what what we're tempted to do is what happened in the story. Could you imagine the setting? They're sitting there and they're, they're looking in the room and they're like, there's no more room. They're even packed in the doorway. They're laying, they're sitting on the floor in the aisle. They're sitting at his feet. And these four men are carrying this paralytic and they're probably saying things that we would say, there's no way we're getting in there. There's no room. There's, there's, there's not even room in the door. Why, why are we even bothering the teacher? Why are we even bothering Jesus? Maybe we should come back another day. And just like many of us, we could be tempted to walk away convinced that God doesn't have room for us, that he's too busy, that he doesn't have time. And yet what's crazy to me is that we'll have faith for God to do something in somebody else's life. You'll know somebody that has a need in their life. You're like, I'm believing for their miracle. I'm believing for my family to be blessed. I'm believing for, you know, this stranger to be blessed. Yet we struggle to believe that God can bless us. Might I propose that the first issue I want you to see in the story is maybe the issue isn't the lack of space in the house. Maybe the issue is the lack of faith in your heart. Maybe that's the issue. Because when they saw that there was no more room, they said, we're going to make room. Again, I believe God wants to do more in you, more through you, and more for you. Because when we make room for more, God makes room for power. He makes room for presence. He makes room for the miraculous. And I believe God didn't just want to do miracles in that room. I believe God wants to do miracles in this room. I believe God wants to move in your heart. I believe he wants to move in your head. He wants you to help those thoughts that you struggle with. He wants to remove those things because he wants to do miracles. Come on, somebody say miracles. And watch this. Uh, God will feel whatever you give him. If you give him your heart, he'll feel your heart. If you give him your life, he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. If you give him your past and your pain, he'll give you a hope and a future. That's how good he is. He will feel whatever you give him. But a lot of times we won't give God the thing that he wants to feel. We got to make room. And the Bible even says this: that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro, looking for someone to show himself strong and mighty. To why not us? Why not now? I'm believing for that in Dothan. As Pastor Michael mentioned, uh, we have a 10-year vision uh, for our church, and man, we're we're well on our way to meet that that goal. And what we want to do is we want to we want to have 700 students consistently in our youth ministry. Some of you are like 700. Yeah, we'll divide. You know, we'll we'll multiply. Shouldn't use the word divide. We'll have two services. We'll, we'll, we'll separate middle school and high school. We'll do all those things. But we have 10-year vision because we're believing that whatever we give God, he's going to feel. We're not just giving him a church. We're giving him us. The way Lindsay and I say it is we get to spend the rest of our lives giving them away. And I believe in return, God says, because you gave your life away, I'm going I'm I'm to feel what you gave me. And I just want to live an open-handed life. That's what I want to do. So I want to ask you, will you make room for the miraculous? Number two. Somebody say number two. We can't make miracles happen, but we can make room for the miraculous to happen. Again, I, I did say this earlier. Uh, parents, you, th- you can't make miracles. I know your child is a miracle. They're a blessing, but you didn't make that child breathe. You, pro- you probably did what was necessary to bring them in the earth, but you can't make miracles. But we can make room for the miraculous to happen. Mark chapter three, chapter two, verse three says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd they made. Somebody say they made. Again, we cannot manufacture a miracle. You cannot, you can, mankind cannot make a move of God. We can't do that. So miracles are not man-made, but they are tailor-made. They're made just for you. God is so good, he'll do what needs to be done just for you. God is so good, he can do what everybody needs in this room all at the same time and individually. That's how good he is. Miracles are not man-made, they are tailor-made. They are made just for you. But it continues, it says, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. Just for a moment, if you don't mind, could you imagine the setting? Jesus is preaching, and they're pounding, you know, (laughs) Could you imagine if I'm teaching, like, Pastor Michael? was another Sunday. Matter of fact, if you're a first-time guest, you should come back next week when Pastor Michael preaches because it's going to be amazing. But Pastor Michael's preaching, and then you- there's knocking. Like, you're like, oh, Lord, is that you? You know, <laughs> he's talking. He's like, is it time? You know? <laughs> Who's there? They're-, they're knocking on the roof, and dirt and debris is falling on people, but Jesus is still teaching. The four guys are yelling at, yelling at each other, the paralytics yelling at them he's probably saying, man, y'all better not drop me. You know, <laughs> could you imagine if he dropped him? That's a whole other story. You know, it's like, and he fell. <laughs> That's the end. You know, <laughs> it'd be a whole different story. He's probably frustrated. He's helpless. He's just alone for the ride. They pretty much kidnapped this man, but these four men knew, it was like, we're going to get him to Jesus. And then it says, they are knocking through the roof. They're digging through the roof. And I I imagine what is the homeowner thinking? Any homeowners in the room? You know, you, we just we just survived some of the tornadoes this Friday night. You're probably and it says the roof is gone. Some of y'all are like, man, that's a hundred thousand dollar fix right there, man. I you can do it, Lord. Like the the roof is missing, and the, the the homeowners probably in the house thinking, man, I'm glad it's not raining. I, I hope my insurance is going to cover this. But what was the homeowner's problem was leading to the paralytic's healing. But wait a minute. Whose house was this? We got to go back to verse 1 to realize whose house is this. It says, when he entered Capernaum, again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, that Jesus was at home. This was Jesus' house. Isn't that just like God to say, hey, you can tear up whatever you need to tear up in my house to get to me. You can move whoever you got to move to get to me. not only is my house on earth special and it's made for you, but I I made a place for you in heaven. That's how good he is. And it's interesting to me that when some of us see a mess, Jesus saw a miracle. Why is this important? Because if we're not careful, we will complain about the mess that we missed the miracle. The same thing that I mentioned earlier, some of us, you'll start complaining about the spouse that God allowed you to meet, and that's your miracle. For some of you, you pray for children, and then you'll complain about, the blessing, the miracle of your child. you are like, if they would just stop, I promise. You know, we, we have a tendency to do this. You pray for the job. God gives you the job and you complain about your boss. If, if you don't notice, you will oftentimes complain about and you'll end up missing the miracle because you're too busy talking about it. You're too busy being bitter and frustrated with God is saying, I gave you this and you need to use it. Man, Jesus. what Jesus saw was faith. And I'm sure some of us saw a bill some of us saw a problem. But when you see that it's a miracle, then you no longer see a mess, you see a message. When you you no longer see it as a test, you see it as a testimony. You no longer see this as a breakdown, you see this as a breakthrough. God wants you to see miracles through the right lands. Somebody say number three. Before the physical miracle, there was a spiritual miracle. Before the physical miracle, there... There was a spiritual miracle. What do you mean? Verse five, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. See, I believe before God does the miraculous in the house, he does the miracle in us. He does the miracle in us. Before God does the miracle in the house, he does the miracle in your heart. Before God does something for you, he does something in you. He does something inside of you. In the moment Jesus didn't say you were healed, he said, son, come on, somebody say son. The Bible called him a paralytic, but Jesus called him son. The story never mentions his name. It only mentions his condition. Jesus never calls us by our condition. He calls us by our position. He calls us from relationship. He calls us sons and daughters. It would have been easy for Jesus to say, wow, you can't walk paralyzed. But he said, no, son, your sins are forgiven. He speaks to us from relationship. Come on, you can give God praise for that. He never called him paralyzed. He called him son. He never calls us what we are. He calls us what we're becoming. He calls us your right identity. He calls you by the right name. You know you can be living in dysfunction and deficit for so long that you grow comfortable with it. You can be so familiar with your issue that it becomes your identity. And you not even realize it. It can become your name. Because a lot of us are answering by names that, that, that it doesn't even shape who we are. We just accept it. And for Jesus to change one area of our life means a lot of other areas are going to change. This is why I believe many people don't ever get completely free because for him to address one thing, it has to change everything. Because Jesus knew if I said uh, you're healed, he would have got up and walked away. But instead of Jesus saying you're healed, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Before I heal your legs, I got to heal your heart so that when you do finally get up and walk away, your heart is whole and your body's whole. He wants to heal all of you. He wants to heal your entirety. And here's the news I want to inform some and remind others of is he's not a halfway healer. He does everything in entirety. He does a whole work. He does a complete work. He does everything you need, how you ask. He's that good. But what, what's interesting to me is we're okay with him healing only one part of our life. But we're not okay with him changing our whole life. Again, Romans 12, 2 talks about how we are living Sacrifices. I love that wording that we're living sacrifices because when we uh, metaphorically lay on the, the altar of life and the surgeon, the great physician, the doctor comes in with his gloves and his scalpel, and he's ready to do some work because we are living sacrifices. We can choose to get up from the altar and say, you know what? I want to live with this issue a little while longer. And we come into places like this and we say, God, I want you to heal a part of my life. I don't want you to heal all my life. See, most of us were like, man, that's not an amen. That's an ouch. You know, that that didn't feel good. And that's what God is saying. Here's the issue. I wish I would even said this in the first service. When God is cutting things out of your life, the reason that it hurts is because he's cutting away things that are still alive. He's cutting away things that you're still feeding. He's cutting away things that you still struggle with. Come on, somebody say miracles. For him to heal one thing, he has to heal the most important thing. Before the physical miracle, there was a spiritual miracle. Verse 5, seeing their faith. How do you see faith? How do you see faith? What did he see? I believe Jesus saw more. He saw faith that would move him. I want to ask you today, what level of faith do we have to have where you don't even have to say a word and Jesus is moved by it? You just show up and Jesus is like, yep, it's time. Right now. Now's the time. What level of, what would it be like if people came into the house of God with so much faith, so much expectation that you don't even have to say a word and God is moved by your actions. He is moved by your acts of generosity. He is moved by your faithful attendance, by your yes. He is moved by your gift and you haven't even said a word. That's the kind of faith that moves God. The first miracle was spiritual. So I want to ask you today, what do you see? What do you see? Because what you see is affected by what's surrounding you. What you see is affected by the things that you look at. It changes what you look at. See, I don't let the evidence of my life determine the verdict of my faith. I said, I don't let the evidence of my life determine the verdict of my faith. I don't care what's around me, I don't let it dictate what I believe. Because faith is not a denial of reality, it's a belief for God to change it. It's a, it's a faithful expectation of God. It's, it's a hope of God moving. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, I, I say it this way, faith is less about outcomes and it's more about outlook. A lot of times we always expect outcomes and God's like, change your perspective. Change what you're looking at. What do you see? And I get it. People could say, if miracles are real, why haven't I seen them in my life? Why hasn't God moved in my life? Why hasn't he done it for me? Who says he hasn't? Maybe the miracles you don't see are the ones God did without you. Let me say this. Maybe the miracles that God did in your life, it wasn't that he did them without you. He did them for you and you don't know all that he's done. But a lot of times we have this theology that we think miracles stopped in the Old Testament. And they didn't. I want to tell you, your Bible is not full of exceptions. It's full of examples of what God wants to do in your life. Man, they are still happening. Miracles are still taking place. What do you see? Because God not only changes what you see, he also changes how you see yourself. We have to stop letting our issues label us and stop saying this is just what I am. We sang it earlier. I am who God says I am. This is all I see for myself, but please hear me. Do not prophesy over your future what you have wrestled with in your past. Do not prophesy over your future what you have wrestled with in your past. So I ask you, what do you see for yourself? What do you see for your family? What do you see for your job? What do you see for this church? What do you see for Huntsville, for Madison, for the surrounding areas? What do you see for yourself? Jesus had to address this, and this is important. Because your pastor saw church when everybody else saw school. Your pastor saw you sitting here before you knew you needed to be here. What do you see? Number four. Last last one. Number four. Somebody say number four. The miraculous is a mindset. The miraculous is a mindset. Verse six. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? You know, you can choose a miracle mindset regardless of how impossible a situation may appear. In the midst of the miracle, there the scribes, the religious people, the church folks, <laughs> you know, they're sitting there and they're they're saying, why is he talking like this? And then Jesus is on the other side perceiving in his heart, why are you thinking like this? Why are you talking like this? Why are you thinking like this? The miraculous is a mindset. They were so consumed with what Jesus was saying, they couldn't even see what he was doing. Man. And what's even more interesting to me is that there is not one ounce of doubt mentioned in this story. But when we talk about faith, when we talk about hope, when we talk about miracles, we don't talk about the doubt in our mind that sometimes comes along with it. There's this one side that's like the scribes that doubts And then there's this other side that's faith that that has to deal with your heart and, and, you know, just believing. And, you know, why are you talking like this? Why are you thinking like this? But see, here's the issue with doubt. Doubt will ask you questions that just demoralize you. They beat you down. They defeat you. Doubt will literally sit across from you and torment you and attempt to prophesy your future with questions. Some of you are going to go to lunch today and doubt is going to sit across from you. You're going to be at a table all by yourself, literally having a conversation with doubt. And it's going to say things like, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do if it doesn't work? What if it fails? What if your marriage doesn't work out? Your wayward son's not coming back. Your wayward daughter's are not coming. What are you going to do when doubt sits across from you and tries to narrate your life? And you will be so overwhelmed with questions that it will seem as though God is absent. It will seem as though God is silent. Again, I wish I would have said this to the first, the first service, but I want you to know real power doesn't have to yell. It says God spoke the world into existence. He didn't yell at it. And when those questions of doubt are loud, God is still speaking. We, we just we got to listen. We got we to turn our ear. We got to tune our ear to the frequency of God's voice. What do you see? Mark chapter 2 verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven or to say, get up. Somebody say get up. I love Proverbs twenty four sixteen because it says, the godly may trip seven times but they will get up again. There's grace to get up. There's grace to be restored. There's grace for a new life. Your current chapter is not the last chapter of your life. You will rise again. You will walk again. You will stand again. You got to get up. Come on. Somebody say, get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. Let me say it this way. You can't keep blessed people down. You can't keep blessed people down. When he said, son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't stand up, but I believe something in him jumped up. He was like, oh, I I received this. So by the time he said, get up, he was able to walk. Mark chapter two, verse nine, the back part of that says, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat and went out in front in front of everyone. My, my first question is, what do you see? My second question is, what do you have? What do you have? I came to church today because I don't have anything. I came to church today because I need something from God. I'm believing for him to do something in my life. And that may sound like an insensitive question to you, but I would ask the first thing you have is a need. See, there is no need for a miracle where there is no problem. If you are struggling right now in your life, you are a prime candidate for a miracle. There there is no miracle where there is no need. And if you can do it on your own, then you don't need God. It seems like what what they had was a problem. But I want you to know that the becoming is an answer to the city of Huntsville. The becoming church is an answer to the city of Huntsville and the becoming people are an answer in their various areas of influence. What do you have? I want to tell you what you have. You have some help. You have some help. But before I get to that, that, that man, he said, pick up your mat. And it was interesting. He said, get up, take up your mat. Why did he take up your mat? Because I believe what Jesus was trying to communicate to him, what you came, what came in. What you came in that was carrying you, I want you to carry it out as a testimony of what I did in your life. And he said, you know what? Not only carry it, take it home. Tell your family what I did. Show your kids what I did. Show your aunt that says you'll be just like your daddy. Show what it did. Come on, somebody say get up. Say take your mat home. Man, so good. What do you have? What do you have? Maybe you're thinking, I don't have anything else. I don't have anything else. Just take a moment and look around the room because you have some help. Come on, look around the room. You got some help. Maybe your child can turn around. You just need some help. Maybe your marriage can be salvaged. You just need some help. Maybe you can start a career during the second phase of your life. You just need some help. Maybe you're trying to do your on your own what God knows you cannot do without your help. Without him, you just need some help. Somebody say help. Say help. Say, I need some help. Now now watch this. Watch this. Your pastors didn't just pray, they prepared. They got involved with the city looking for venues. They started telling anyone who would listen about the vision of the becoming church. They had interest meetings. They started raising money before they had anything to spend it on. They were involved in the miracle and they never said they didn't have nothing. They said, "We need help." Because where there's vision, there's provision. He's like, "I need help." Can you come partner with me? Can you come dream with me? Can you come believe that I'm going to do a miracle in a school? Can you come, can you come be a, Can you lock arms with me? And if you can't faithfully and financially support me, can, can you just speak into me? Can you be here as a sign of encouragement? Can you speak life over my dream? Don't doubt. Just believe with me. I know what you're saying, but I want you to think in your heart that God can do the impossible. So listen to this. If you only see what you don't have, you'll never see what God can do. If you only see what you don't have, you'll never see what God can do. You have to recognize that you have something that God can work with. Last question, what do you need? What do you need? You need him. You got help. What do you see? You got hope. But what do you need? You need him. You need a relationship with him. Jesus is saying, give me what you have. Give me what you hope for. Give me what you see, and I'll give you what you need. That's how good he is. He says, give me your unbelief. Give me that fear. Give me that depression. Give me that anxiety. Give me that addiction. Give me that problem. Give me that marriage. Give me that child. Give me that job. He's saying, give me what you have because all you have is all you need. You need him. Last verse. Immediately he got up, took the mat, went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we've never seen anything. Like this, I've been I've been around a little bit. I I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. Man, Mike, there's so many things I wish I would have said the first time. My mind was racing. Your boy was tired. Stayed up too late last night. But you know, my busted got my bracket got busted. That's why I was up. You know, I was praying, lamenting before the Lord. Just kidding. And but I, I I gotta say this: seeing a diverse group of people, I ain't never seen nothing like this in one place, lifting up one name. Come on, y'all give God some praise for the miracle that is called the becoming. This is a miracle. You're sitting in a miracle. Yeah, you can stand up and give God some praise for this because this is special. This is what heaven looks like. You know what, better yet, this is what heaven sounds like because if you need him, I believe there's some people in here that are going to give their life to Jesus. He's that good. Father, I love you. I worship you. I give you praise for the becoming church. You can stay standing. You can stay standing. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. You you have yet to see the miracle that is going to take place in your life, in this church, in this city, in your family. So if you're standing and you're you're in this room, you say, right now, I need to make room for God. I need to make room for a miracle. I need God to do something in, in my life. If you're here today and you say, God, I just want you to move in my life. If you need a miracle, I just want you to raise your hands to heaven. I need a miracle. There's hands all around the room. Wow. If you're in need of restoration in a relationship, you're in need of a financial breakthrough, in need of healing, in need for guidance or clarity or wisdom. If you're here and you're struggling with infertility, if you need a miracle, I want you to raise your hand all across the room. I want to pray a blessing over you. Hands all around this room. Let me pray for you. Father, you see every hand raised. You see every need represented. God, we believe you still do miracles. And we believe you will move on behalf of your people. That's my prayer. That's my prayer to you. I'm believing for God to take us into a miracle season. I'm praying for open doors, favor with God and with man, quick answers to prayer, open heavens, angelic activity, instantaneous healings, freedom from addiction, salvations, new beginnings. Father, I'm believing in faith with my brother for a new building. I'm praying these things. I'm praying for miracles and I'm speaking things that aren't as though they were. Father, will you move in our lives? in ways that can't be explained. And we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, give God some praise.